Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride, ride through the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. Real quick, I want to mention SobertownFacebook.com. We have tons of resources there to help you get sober. We have a sober community, Sobertown Facebook. I want to mention the I Am Sober app. It's an amazing community where most of us met on this sober journey and got started. There's tons of amazing sober communities out there. I Am Sober app, Boom Rethink the Dream, The Phoenix, This Naked Mind. There's tons of communities out there, and we have a, a community page, SobertownPodcast.com, to help you find a sober community that fits you. And this morning, we have an amazing sober warrior, and he is a warrior, and he's a combat engineer, like I was a combat engineer, we both went to the same basic training place, Fort Leonardwood, Missouri, and we have Brian, aka Be Awesome. Brian, what's happening? How you feeling? Should I give you a hoo? Yeah. Hoo <laughs> Yeah. Boom. That was a that was a long time ago for me, but I am doing good, and I'm it's it's I'm honored to be here. I've listened to a lot of these podcasts. Since I've been on my sober journey, well, since I've become made aware of sober town, yeah, and it's it's pretty pretty. I'm I'm I'm, I'm in awe to be here. So you just want me to go ahead and start talking about my my sober journey, right? So that's what I'll, I'll do. My name is Brian, like you said. I am I am on the I am sober app, which is is, is a fantastic sober tool. I'm glad that I got turned on to it. A couple of years ago, I'll get into that, but my name is B. Awesome on, on the app, but I am 46 years old. I live in New Jersey and I'm, I'm, my, this is my fourth stint at sobriety. Drifter, I've, I started my journey back in June, 2015 and I'll explain why and how I got started. And, and I went for four and a half years when I started though, I was, I was sober for four and a half years from June, 2015 to November, 2019. And then I made it. So I just decision to try drinking again. And, and that started me on a bit of a roller coaster. And I wasn't until March of 2021 that I tried seriously to get sober again. And I stayed sober four and a half months. And then something happened in August of that year. And it wasn't then again until last, last, early last year, January, 2022, I was sober for, for almost six months. And I had a slip in June and, but I drank a total of 19 days last year. All of the calendar year of 2021, and uh, and I've been sober since since July 15th. So my sober day today, I'm, I'm not sure what day I'm on, but I'm, I'm just over nine months sober, feeling as strong as I felt since that first go round back in June 2015. But that's uh, so my journey's been going on for a while, not as long as some people's, but I've been been at this for you know over eight years or almost eight years, I guess if I can do math. Well, but I'll get into it here. So I I was not a drinker. Growing up as a kid, I know everyone takes a different path to get here. And some, some of us I've heard from the stories have started real, real young. That always just it blows my mind that people started so young and were able to turn it around. I didn't, I, I think, I think I can kill two times as a teenager when I drank and I didn't drink the excess either time. I was just, I wasn't exposed to it. It wasn't really a, an option or a thing. I, I didn't like it when I, when I drank as a teen and that just wasn't my thing. Then I went, went off to the army, like you said at the beginning here. I joined the army straight out 
11 days after I graduated high school, I joined, I, I went off to the army, I went off to Fort Leonard, Missouri to be yeah, basic training and to, to go through basic training and an advanced individual training or AIT, I call it in Fort Leonard, Missouri. And, and then I got permanent duty station assigned at Fort Riley, Kansas, right in the state, right next door. And that's where I did my three years of active duty. So that's where I learned to drink. I was, and I don't know the first time I drank heavily, but I do remember the first time I got really drunk and it was, I was 19. I just turned 19 and it was, it was New Year's Eve. I guess it would have been 1995 going, going into 1996. And I, we were drinking in the barracks, drinking everything under the sun. I remember in particular, we were drinking firewater, which is cinnamon flavor, liquor and both. I can remember, I can remember parts of that night. So I, I can remember playing pool in the barracks common area and one of my friends was taking me a shot and I was so drunk, I came over and I just kicked him right in the nuts from behind. Like, I mean, I was just, I had no idea what I was doing, man. I was, I was, I'd never been drunk like that before. And, and I don't know, man, that was just crazy. I remember the next morning too, waking up on this like makeshift couch that I had in my barracks room and just leaning over the side and throwing, I threw up like all over the CDs that I had on the floor. It was, it was a mess. For this day, I can't drink anything cinnamon flavored. But anyway, that, 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 my exposure to, to, to drinking came with, during my time there at, at Fort Riley. And I, I've told this story before. I don't know if my, I, I think I would have gone down the path I went in some way, shape or form, regardless of whether I joined the army or went to college or if I had just, you know, joined the workforce right out of high school or whatever. I, I think, I think I would have, but, but I do believe being in that environment didn't help. At the time, it was a, there, there were no, I, I think this has changed now, but I think there are females allowed in combat arms now, but there weren't when, when I was in, in, in the mid nineties. And so I was surrounded by a bunch of, you know, it was a meathead environment, like a real macho, high testosterone environment. Again, probably would have drank a lot if I went to college or whatever, but it was just a, drinking with rapping, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I, I'm still good friends with three of the guys I served with to this day. And I, I remember telling one of them back in, I don't know, I don't know, sometime after my server journey started, I remember saying, talking to him about my story and he was almost apologetic to me. He said, which is, which is silly because he's like a year, oh, a month older than me. So I, he wasn't responsible for me, or is it? but, but I remember he was saying like, you know, we, we never learned to drink responsibly. We just, you know, got thrust into this environment and just went, you know, balls to the wall you know, zero to six, whatever cliche you want to say. So I don't know, but, uh, but I do think that, that, that it was probably sort of in my, in my DNA from the get-go. My dad, after I got out, I had two brothers. I'm the oldest of three boys. When we were all in our, we're, we're all about three years apart. So we were all in our twenties. I was out of the army at this point. My dad, I remember sat us all down and was telling us that to watch it. Basically he said, I think. Yeah, I, I think I'm an alcoholic. My dad saying this, and I'm just like, what? You're not? I, my dad drank beer growing up. When I was growing up, no, he was growing up. I remember hitting Stroh's. That was his beer of choice. And I can remember him drinking a beer or two pretty much every night after work. I mean, was it literally every night? I don't know. Yeah, probably not. But I can remember him drinking beers in the evenings. But I never, and I, I, I don't even mean this sincerely, I'd never seen him drunk. 
I know one of my brothers told me he fell our father drunk one time after like a, a, a work get together or something like that. But I've never seen that. He was not a drinker, like a heavy drinker or drinker to excess. But he sat us down and he told us, you know, I think it didn't, it's in the, it's in our blood. It's in our, it's in our DNA. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're pre-exposed to being alcoholics. He said, you think of my, my, this is my father talking now, my mother, she always had a drink in her hand. Right guys. And, and, and he's right. Like she always would drink a, a Manhattan with certain drink. She would always have something in her hand when, when, or we would get together when she was alive. I never saw her drink or if I did, I didn't know it. It wasn't that kind of drink to excess, but she was a, she was a drinker. My dad's father, he passed away when my dad was 16. So I never, I never met him, but he was evidently a, a real heavy guy with, with, you know, stature wise, but also a heavy drinker too. And big smoker. And anyway. Yeah, there's, there's, there's that. So, you know, what, what, was it the army that was it, was it in my blood from the get go? Was it inevitable? I don't know if I buy into that, but probably would have happened. I think that was just the kind of, I think I was kind of susceptible to that. I was curious about it. And, but at any rate, I got out of the army and, and I drank, I had a, I had an Olenigan off again relationship with alcohol, I'd say for my, for the remainder of my twenties into my, I don't know, early thirties. I was a binge drinker. I guess I haven't said that yet, but that was definitely, I, I don't know if I developed that affinity when I was in the army or afterwards, but I definitely learned to enjoy what, well, if I was going to drink, I was doing it to get drunk. Oh, I, I wanted that. You know, I didn't want to get to the point where I was so inebriated that I was kicking people on the nuts, doing stupid shit. I mean, that happens, of course, you know, you, there, there, there's no, once, once you, once you cross that threshold, you know, there's, there's. There's no governor. You don't know how far you're going to go, but, uh, but at any rate, but I, but I also, I wasn't one just to like have one or two, like my dad did and, and call it a day. I wanted that, you know, I wanted that certain nice level of inebriation and, and, uh, and that led me to binge drinking. It's, it's crazy, man, because when I, I don't maybe, maybe, maybe this is just selective memory and I, it wasn't this what way, what I'm about to say, but I remember being a. Being a 20 something and being a pretty responsible, I mean, okay, I just said I was been drinking. So that this flies in the face of me saying I was a responsible drinker, I guess, laughing at myself as I'm hearing it. But, but I, I, I controlled it to the extent that I drank on the weekends and that was it. I never, never would get behind the wheel of a car early in, in, like in my twenties. I'm talking about I me. Mean, I just, I just didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't want to take that risk. It was irresponsible. I didn't want to put anybody else at risk. And then things started to shift as I got a little older to late twenties or early thirties. I don't know when it was, but I started to get lack. I started to get more lackadaisical about it and more irresponsible about it. And I, the weekends would turn into weekdays in the evenings. Weekday evenings would turn into, I mean, I can, I can remember times where I would drink, they, they'd go home for lunch and day drink over my lunch break and go back to work, which obviously means I was getting behind the wheel of a car again. God, I can remember this one time I was living in Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia, and I had a happy hour. I think I had, I had over five, over the course of a long evening, but over, over five Long Island iced teas, which this would be pretty stiff, right? And then I was like, ah, I'll be fine. Just turn off the, turn off the radio, put the windows down and focus and drive home. And I did. So I started to become more, I got worse as I got older in terms of my start, you know, being responsible. I got more irresponsible. I got less mature. I don't know. It seems backwards to me. 
But anyway, I got married in my early 30s. We didn't have kids right away. It wasn't until I was 37 that I had, had two daughters. It wasn't until I was 37 that I had my first daughter. I'm going to take a quick sip of coffee here. Out of my old Ironside's mug. Yeah. And the drinking got worse as I got older. We, we were, my wife and I and our daughter were living in, in Northern Virginia. She stopped working when we, when we had our first child. That was our plan. I stayed at home with the kid or the kids as, as it you know, eventually became. And I worked, I worked five miles away from where we live. And in a place called Reston Town Center. And if, if, they, if anyone's familiar with that area, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a cool, it was actually a really cool place to work. Lots of office buildings, lots of retail, like Apple and Gap and Athleta and, and then lots of restaurants and bars. And it was a fun place to work as a, I guess I was in my early and mid thirties when I worked there and it was a fun place to work because it was a great place to go out for happy hours. Boy, did we do a lot of that. And and again, my, my habits were getting worse and worse as I was getting older with respect to drinking. I mean, I, everything else was on the right track. I was, I've always been someone who's cared about fitness and, and I was able to maintain that through, through my thirties. My work ethic was good, even though I was drinking during the week or even a few times during the day, you know, I was able to somehow not get you know, let that affect my, my, my work performance and nobody knew. And, you know, it was just probably a common story to a lot of people, you know, it is, I guess, you know, functioning alcoholic, I guess I'm kind of tap dancing around here if that's what I was, but uh, what was happening though, Drifter, it was, I was, I was neglecting my family. My wife was home with our, uh, with our daughter and uh, in, in 2015, we got, we had our second daughter. She was, our second daughter was born in October. 2015. So back that up a couple months. My wife was at home with one, one young kid, even two years old yet and pregnant with another. And I was working long hours and then going out and drinking afterwards and, 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 you know, not going home and helping out around the house and being part of the family. And it was becoming a problem, even though it might not have been something we talked about a lot. And at any rate, in June of 2015, one of my, one of my buddies was leaving, was, was leaving the company. We worked together. He's a work friend that became pretty good friends and he was leaving. So we had a happy hour for him and all went, got trenched. And uh, I remember he went home and I was staying out with another guy and drinking and there were some other people from the happy hour still. And I got, I got too friendly with a female coworker who was there now in the bar, nothing I feel like I'm, I don't want to justify it. I'm not trying to defend it. It was despicable and I'm not proud of it, but I, it was PG level stuff. It was in the bar. Nothing, you know, we didn't take it beyond that. She was married. She had a friend, a male friend who was there, who was friends with her husband, who kept encouraging her to leave. And she finally did. I started getting pissed off about that, but uh, she left. I wound up staying out with this other guy, just, just continuing to get just totally shit faced. Like they wouldn't even remember we left into this one place and they, they threw us out right at the door. Like not, it wasn't a bouncer situation or anything, but they were like, you're not coming in here. There's, there's no fucking way you're coming in here like this guy's leave. And they wouldn't let us in. We were that bad. The girl, right. I knew enough to know I couldn't drive home, even though we were, I, I, 
I was like five miles away from where we lived. It was really close, but I, so I was smart enough to know I couldn't drive him. I was stupid enough to think I could get in the car with my buddy, just as drunk as I was. He drove me home. We made it. And, and I told my wife, well, hold on, let me, let me pause there. Got home and, and nothing happened. I got home. I remember pouring myself a drink and sitting down and watching something on TV before I went to bed. And, uh, and the next morning I woke up and I remembered enough of it to just feel completely miserable. That I don't mean hungover, miserable or sick, miserable. I mean, ashamed. Like, what did I just do? I'd never, I've always prided myself on being honest and being reliable and having integrity. Those are big. I mean, those are things that I consider, I considered and do still consider to this day to be my core values. And I, I'd never done anything like that. And I just mortified and I told my wife, I told her that morning, I sat her down and I was like, this is what happened yesterday. And I can still remember the look on her face as I told her, she was, she was sitting there listening to this pregnant, three months away from having her second child, doing all this work around the house, taking care of a, you know, one and a half year old at the time. And then she's hearing her husband tell her that he went, you know, he's been out gallivanting around and going to these happy hours and drinking most nights after work and coming home late. And now he's, you know, doing this and, and you know, being unfaithful basically. Well, anyway, I, I just, it was, it was one of the worst conversations I ever had. Not the worst that's yet to come, but I it was, it was rough. And I, I don't know. I, I remember. I remember being at work that day. I called my mom. I really basically didn't work at all that day. I went into the office. That was, I mean, she had to drive me in. My car was there. I didn't have my car. So she had to drive me. I remember calling my mom and telling, telling my mom what, what had happened. And I was worried and, and, and sick and disgusted with myself. And it's, anyway, but that was, I guess that would have been, I think that was on Thursday of that week. My wife didn't give me any kind of ultimatum. She didn't say, it's either me or alcohol, you know, choose one or the other. I do remember her saying, hey, we can't continue like this. Like if, if you're going to, you, Brian, you're going to keep doing this stuff and it's going to continue to happen. I'm going to have to make a choice at some point. Reasonable, right? Anybody, any reasonable person, I know you can't falter for that. So I think by Friday of that week and certainly by Saturday of that week, this few days after this incident, I decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go sober hundred percent. I'm going to stop drinking forever. Be good. I'm done. And I told her and she's like, you know, I, I didn't say you had to do that. And I said, no, I know I'm doing it. I need to do it. I owe it to me. I owe it to you. I owe it to our children. I got to do it. I can't. I've only been somebody. I feel like I am a burn all or nothing kind of person. And what I mean by that, I don't mean that like, it sounds like, I don't mean it to be like a arrogant thing. I, I'm not good at moderation is what I mean, which I think probably a lot of folks who are on the server journey can relate to. And it, but it's, it's like that with anything with me, like I can like junk food. <laughs> I always give the example, like I can, I can refrain from eating the Doritos, but if I stick my hand in that bag and take one Dorito, I'm probably going to eat three fourths of the whole bag in one sitting. So I, I have self-control and restraint when it comes to certain things via an all or nothing mechanism. And so that's how I decided to go after it with alcohol, even though it was such a big part of my life, I didn't want to, I, I realized this was sort of like a tipping point. So that Saturday we had stuff all over the house. I had, maybe I had plenty of beer in that. I, I think I, 
my wife had gotten me like beer of the month membership years ago. And so we had down in the basement, we had a pool table and like a man cave area where I had all these exotic beer bottles on display from, from the beer of the month club or from other places and all these beer signs. I love beer, but hard liquor with my stuff. So we had all kinds of whiskey and, and vodka. I remember I had some gin from a local DC distillery and we dumped it all or the stuff that was either not opened or, or mostly fully, we, we kind of set aside to, to give away to some friends or ask some people. But I, I remember just dumping so much, dumping all the beer, dumping the, the liquor, getting rid of all that shit in my man cave, I mean, we, all the like fancy bottle for like everything. Like I had a, like a, like a can, a bottle for on the mounted on the wall. Like it all came down It all, we, we got rid of it all. And I called people like family and close friends and told them. And, uh, and that was powerful for me putting it, I mean, I know is, is not a novel. I know that's, that's you know, putting, making a commitment and then putting it out there, making, you know, making it known is, is a powerful way to hold yourself accountable and make yourself want to stick to it. Right. So that worked for me and uh, it was hard. I, I remember I mentioned that I was friends to, I am still friends to this day with some, some guys that I was in the army with and and the one guy I remember calling him and telling him about all this, about the, you know, the unfaithfulness and that I was giving up drinking. And Murray said to me, it's like, you know, Brian, you're one of the, you're one of the strongest minds and, and you know, from a willpower perspective, you know, one of the strongest people I know. And if you say you're going to do this and you make, you put your mind to it, I believe you're going to do it. And that really, those words, I mean, I don't even, I should tell him that that really had an impact on me because it did. I, I wanted to live up to that it, and I did, I was able to, I, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. I tried that twice and it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. I decided after two times, which is not a fair shake. I, you know, and I, I, I was actually just talking to a friend last night about AA and I love, I love that it works well for people. I've heard you drifters say so many times that there, that there's, there's an infinite, I mean, just said at the beginning of the podcast pretty much, but there's an infinite number of tools out there, right? And, and. Hey, hey, a powerful tool for a lot of people, obviously. And I, it did, I won't get into the reasons why I didn't like it. Just didn't, wasn't, I didn't feel like it was my thing. So I didn't go, but I was able to, to stay sober. It was hard as hell at first. You know, I don't remember exactly when it started to get easier, but I can remember, you know, going through the first was hard. The first, first weekend, the first holiday, first family vacation was hard as fuck. I can remember needing to take walks and just getting paid. I can, I can remember being on vacation and my, my, my brother's in-laws were there and uh, really great people and, and, and his, my brother's father walls, oh, three o'clock. You know what that means? It's one day. And I was just like, fuck you all. And I just got out the left. I just couldn't, you know, but uh, anyway, it just looked to the first were, were hard, but then it started getting easier. And I, I started to not mind being around it. And I could go to, I could get through a weekend or go over to some friends' houses where they're drinking. I could go on a family vacation. I could go to a fucking happy hour and not, not want to drink. And, uh, and for four and a half years, I, I, I had it. And, and I can remember the, the best, like, I mean, I still, I still, I still being on this feeling today when, when life gets down, when life gets, or, you know, when you get down or life gets hard, rough, whatever, you can wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, yeah, you know what? I've got one thing going for me and it's pretty, it's a pretty big thing. And I feel pretty good about that. And that can kind of like boost you and it can be a lift for the rest of your, you know, 
your day and kind of pick you out of that, pick you up out of that funk. And I, I remember feeling so, I just, I remember leaning on that feeling a lot at, you know, at some point along the way during those four and a half years and feeling proud and being like, man, I look, look what I can do. I mean, I, I don't know what the definition of an alcoholic is. I mean, I'm sure there is a good definition and I, I know some people have strong opinions about that word and I, I think I'm an alcoholic, man. I, I don't, I don't have, I don't, it's, it, I don't, it's not something I choose to argue about and, you know, problem drinker versus whatever. But I, I, I can look at myself in the mirror and say, man, I'm an alcoholic and I'm, I'm not drinking anymore and I've got this under control and it's a good feeling. But anyway, that, uh, a little bit of love to end with story there, but it doesn't end there. So in, November of, of 2019, four and a half years later, over the Thanksgiving holiday here in the States, I remember being at my brother's house. It was, wasn't well, Thanksgiving day. It was either Thursday, sorry, not Thursday, Friday or Saturday, right afterwards. And we were watching college football. My brother, one of my brothers was there, the one that lived there, obviously, and my dad. And, and my wife was there. We were all there. And I was just like, you know what? I got this under control and they're drinking beers because my dad and my brother both drank still. And I mean, they all knew I didn't drink by them, but no one was pressuring me. But I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a few light beers. I'm going to have a few Bud Lights, which is what he had in the fridge. I mean, Bud Light, man. I, I was, I like whiskey. I like bourbon. I like Irish whiskey. I like vodka. My, that was my, my big downfall. Not to say I've never got drunk on beer before, but Bud Lights, what, what's, what could be the harm in that? I mean, I've been sober for four and a half years. I've got it under control, right? So I did. And I didn't remember exactly how it went from there. I remember telling my wife before I did it, I was like, I'm going to have two beers. And I feel like she got a bit of a look like, I mean, she didn't say, you know, boo to me. She, like I said, she never gave me an ultimatum, but I could tell she was not super keen on the idea, but you know, she wasn't going to tell me what to do. And. Uh, I mean, that, that was the beginning of, of the slide that I, that I, when I started to ride that, I guess I'm still on a little bit by, by December of that year, I was drinking regularly. I guess so a month later, I was drinking regularly again, like weekly. I started drinking wine. I've never been a wine drinker. And I thought to myself, well, that's probably pretty safe. I'm not, I don't love the taste of red wine. I don't, I'm not going to drink it to excess, but I can still enjoy the, you know, the, the buzz that I'll get from drinking, but, but without the, the, the negative side effects of being an alcoholic or binge drinking or all that sh- stuff. Right. And then from there, I don't know, right after that COVID hit, right. That this is November, December, 2019. And then COVID hit and everything shut down and it gets a little blurry after that, but, but I, I was working remotely and. Before you know it, I was back to drinking whiskey every, every day. And, and now that it was remote like this, and I was working out of my house, I was drinking whiskey. I wasn't waiting until, you know, five o'clock or six o'clock or whenever I punched out, it was four o'clock or three o'clock and I poured in a coffee mug. So going, so if I'm on a call, you know, I could be drinking and no one would know. And, and it started getting worse again. And then it's funny. 21, my brother, one of my two brothers told me about this app called I am sober. He had found this, this, this app 
He wasn't trying to get sober at the time. I think it's probably okay to say that. He was just trying to moderate. He was trying, he recognized he had a problem and he wanted a little bit of help getting it under control. And he found this app and, and, and lo and behold, it had this crazy kick-ass community on it. And he's like, Brian, I think you would benefit from getting on there and you can make some connections and you know, make posts and comment and post posts and just get support. And it's, it's pretty, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty powerful tool. And so check it out. And so I did. And in, and in March of 2021, I got on I Am Sober for the first time and I really got hooked on it and I, I made some connections and I got sober for, for four and a half months all the way to August. And somewhere along that way, I, I got, I've had a love-hate relationship with I Am Sober, right? I, I get on it and I'm there and then I'm like, I'm becoming too consumed with it in social media and I start to freak out and then I get off it and I delete my account. I've done that at least twice. And so somewhere in that, in between March and, and August, I did that. I got off of I Am Sober, deleted my account. But also somewhere along the way, you know, me, the guy that, that has the core values of integrity and honesty and reliability, trustworthiness. I started getting real friendly with a female coworker again. This time it was totally virtual. We were living in New Jersey. I didn't go into that part of my story, but we had moved from Northern Virginia in the DC area to, to Northern New Jersey in, in 2016. And I kept my job. So I still, into this day, I still work out of the Washington DC area. But uh, so this, this woman that I work with every day, I started getting real close with her. Just, just. It's, it started innocuously. We, we had the same sense of humor. We would just start exchanging texts. And anyway, before, before I knew what was happening, I was going to bed at night after putting our, our daughters to sleep. I was going straight to bed, getting in the bed and, and just having these like long text conversations with this woman while my wife was still, still up and still, you know, doing her thing downstairs. And, uh, Either I didn't recognize what was happening right away or I just didn't want to recognize it. And it wasn't, it wasn't sexual or, but it, but it was definitely intimate and, and it became what I would define as a, as an emotional affair, I guess is where I'm going with this. So I was choosing to spend more time with this woman than I was with my wife emotionally. And I realized that was wrong. And so I, in August, I texted this woman and I said, all of this, I said, Hey, I realize I'm having feelings for you. They're not okay. Well, we have to stop doing what we're doing. And she understood and she said, okay. And that day I, I used that as an excuse to start drinking again. I, you know, I don't, I don't think that, I think I, what I just said, I use it as an excuse. I, I didn't crack it. It wasn't that I was like, oh, the stress of what I'm doing is just you know, made me snap and I don't realize it. And I, I just turned, no, I knew what I was doing. And it was a convenient excuse and a convenient reason to start drinking again. And so I did. And, and that's really where the story, I know it's been a long, feel like I've been rambling a lot here. That's where the story really picks up though, because a couple of things that it, first of all, it didn't stop with me and this woman. In fact, it escalated significantly. I told my wife about it again, a couple of days after I started drinking, I told her, Hey, this is what's been happening. She was cool about it. Probably a little confused, but in the moment she was really cool about it and, and, and nothing, nothing super explicit had happened yet, but I started drinking and I started drinking heavily again. I don't know. 
exactly how that, how that progressed, but my drinking got real bad, real fast. It's probably the heaviest that I've ever drank day in, day out. And this is just a couple of years ago. So now I'm in my, by now I'm in my mid forties and I'm, I'm already, and not already, I'm already, I'm in my mid forties and my, like I said before, my irresponsibility level, it just seems to be getting higher and higher as the older I get. Things escalated with this lady where it did become, it was all virtual, but it did become sexual. I sleep at that. And my, my marriage really started to deteriorate. The drinking got, got extreme. I, we were on the cusp of getting divorced. I told my wife, I had still interest in this other person. You know, this is maybe, maybe a couple months later, so October-ish year, decided to get divorced and then walked it back and said, uh, we hadn't given, we were, we started going to therapy, couples therapy when, when I told her what was happening in, in August or shortly thereafter. And, and so by October ish, we think that got real bad. We decided to divorce, but then walked it back because we hadn't we both agreed. We hadn't given therapy at fair sheet. I mean, we've been married since 2010 and you know, a lot of, a lot of history there. We had kids and loved each other. And anyway, but I was going through the motions with therapy. I wasn't, I wasn't acting on anything and, and trying to take the lessons that I was learning during therapy and, and, and implementing them to fix my marriage or stop my drinking. And the drinking got worse and worse. And, and by November, my wife had told me, and it, it mentioned before, she never gave me an ultimatum, but she, I don't know if it's an ultimatum, but she told me, I don't want you drinking in front of our kids anymore. It's getting, it's, you're getting out of hand with it. Like not, I was never. I wasn't an angry drunk or a violent drunk or any, it wasn't anything with that, but, but I was visibly drunk when I, when I would drink and my kids didn't realize what was happening, but sooner or later they were going to, you know, they would start to understand something wasn't right with me. And not only that, but I would, you know, I pick them up, put them to bed and stuff like that. Bedtime routines. I mean, I was probably being a little, not probably, I was surely being reckless with them. I, you know, I would drink, I would have a bunch of drinks. I'd pick them up, carry them to their bed, throw them around a little bit or whatever. You know, that might hurt somebody that way. Right. So yeah. for, for a whole variety of good reasons, she was like, I don't want you drinking in front of the kids anymore. But I agreed. I didn't fight it. It's okay. And, uh, and then I promptly turned around and did exactly what I said I wouldn't do. So now I'm again, integrity and honesty and reliability, I could, I gave a flying fuck about those at, at this point, evidently, because I was, I was knowingly being dishonest. I was being unfaithful. I, I mean, I, I'm not going into a ton of detail about the, what was an affair and it was, while it was not physical, it was definitely an affair. I mean, very, it was very sexual at this point. And you know, I would tell my wife it was over and, you know, it wasn't over. I had no intention of it being over. I would tell my wife I wouldn't drink in front of the kids. And then I started like, you know, oh, I've got to run out to the hardware store on Saturday, right? I'll be, I'll be right back. And I would, I'd make it an effort to go to the, or I'd make, a, I'd make up a reason to go to the hardware store because there was a liquor store, right? Store. And I would run there and, and, and buy stuff. And I was hiding it all over the house. I blocked blast so I could make it even, you know, make, have smaller computers and hide shit all over the place. I mean, it's totally not, and I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. Self-loathing. You know, when I, when I, even I realized those feelings start to become unhelpful, un, unhealthy after a time. Maybe I'll talk about that at the end if, if there's time, but I, 
to this day, even though I know at some point I have to forgive myself and move on, it's hard to think back and to tell this story without just feeling total, total disdain, total disgust for myself and, and, and self-loathing for what I was doing. I remember one, one day in, in December of that year, 2021, I poured, I was pouring Jameson into half, half empty Coke cans. That was my brilliant strategy. And I remember my wife came downstairs and she's like, do you smell that? And I was like, oh, fuck. Nah, she's got to smell something else. And she's like, are you drinking? And I'm like, oh. and I just, yeah, just remembering that just gives me this, this uncomfortable un chill right now. I can just, I mean, yeah, I'm drinking. And she's, you know, just the, the things are just deteriorating, you know, beyond or, or before, before our, my eyes, but just in respect to my, my marriage. And she, um, so that's what's the vodka because that doesn't have any odor, right? So I could, I could sneak that. Anyway, you know, right. Things wound up, wound up falling apart with the woman that I was having the affair with in late, late November, early December. She, she got sick of me telling her that I was going to be with her and then walking that path, which is, which is exactly what I was doing and, you know, jerking her around that anybody would get fed up with that after some, you know, after a mess. So, but she cut it off with me and that. That upset me. That 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 messed with my head. Things were falling apart with my marriage, and I, that was messing with my head. Then I was just drinking to excess, and that was obviously messing with my head. And I can remember one day, and it was between Christmas and New Year's in December, which we have a lot of trees in the in the yard, and we hadn't gotten all the leaves picked up yet from the fall. And so my wife. Was taking our daughter somewhere, and I said I'll stay home and, and uh, work on the leaves. Grab a drinking vodka and during the day, as it, it, it was a holiday, it was, it was holiday, whatever. And I was drinking, and I remember this thought just came over me that about going inside and writing goodbye letters to my my loved my my wife, and my daughters, and my brothers and parents and stuff like that. And I, I hadn't been having any kind of suicidal thoughts or anything like that. I've dealt with depression since I've been a teenager, but mild, depression. I shouldn't say mild, like I don't, I don't mean to trivialize it, but I've never been a suicidal person. I've been on antidepressants on and off since I've been a teenager, but again, the diagnosis is mild depression. I mean, I probably had thoughts over the years of, of the suicide, but, but nothing, not, not regularly at all and never anything that I came close to acting on. But I, this, this particular day, this December in 2021, it was pretty powerful, the, the thoughts of going inside and writing these notes. And I told my wife about it the next day and she got really concerned and called our, our therapist and he wanted to talk to me. And I was just, no, I don't want it. I don't need to help. I was stubborn and you know, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, my, it's my brain, it's such a fog. But, but anyway, the, the, I was going to say the, the climax of the story, I guess the rock bottom of the story comes about on January 2nd of, of 2022. It was a Sunday. It was the last day of the, the, the Christmas, New Year's vacation. And, and my wife was ran out to the grocery store. I was home with the girls midday and I started day drinking vodka. Like I was pretty much doing all the time at that point. And I didn't, I didn't start the day with any grand plans of doing anything, but I think just the stress of, 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 of everything, the, 
the, the, the end of the affair and that first that I was feeling from that, the, the, what the demise of my marriage and, and the shame and the guilt and the hurt I felt from that. And I just didn't see any easy way out. And, and I was drinking as, as these thoughts are going through my head. Right. And she got home from the grocery store and she could, she would, she, by this point, was pretty good at typically identifying it when I was drinking. She could tell his second I had a little more than, you know, a little, just enough to tip me over the, the sober line, just a little bit. She could recognize it, but I don't know. I steered clear of her or she didn't recognize it. She went upstairs to put the groceries away and the girls were in the bath and I was downstairs in the garage, the basement level. And I, I put on hoodie and my headphones and I put this song called Ghost On by Bad Flower, which is about suicide. And I put it on repeat and I got a half empty bottle of vodka that I've been drinking during the day and an open bottle of Jameson that I had hidden away. And I pulled a couple of like a knife and a razor blade or two out of the, 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 the full chest in the garage. And I walked out the door and down the street and, and hung a left and walked into the woods at the end of my neighborhood and started cutting my left wrist. And along the way, as I was walking, I remember texting my, my wife and my mom and my brothers and texting them the lyrics to that song, that, that, that song ghost. I didn't say like, I didn't say, Hey, I'm going to kill myself right now, but I have, I'm sure I was saying some cryptic shit. I mean, it was a cry for help for sure. I don't know that I really wanted to kill myself. I got out there and I started cutting and uh, I, I think I didn't have the, the, the balls to cut deep enough. Like I realized even in my drunken state, I'm like, ah, this fucking hurts. Like I, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I was so drunk who knows what I was thinking, but I do know that I, it was dark and I don't know if I had a flashlight. I mean, I had my phone, but I don't know if I had a light on or what. I don't remember that, but I do remember I tripped and fell on my ass into a creek and got soaked. And this is, this is January 2nd, I don't know, like maybe seven o'clock at night or something like that in Northern New Jersey. So it's cold. And I just, I didn't even have a coat on. I just had this hoodie on and I fell and I lost everything. My headphones, my phone, I, the blades that I had, the knife and the, the razor blader blades, I lost it all. And, but I lost my, the bottles of alcohol that I had. And I got furious because I couldn't find the alcohol. And that was like, so I made my way. I got up sore as hell, bruised on my elbows and my knees, stumbled out of the woods and the nearest house in the neighborhood next to the woods, I started beating on the door, demanding they return my alcohol. Yeah. 45 year old man drunk off his ass doing this. And so, so somewhere after I, sometime after I sent this text to my mom and my brothers and my wife, somebody called the police. Probably, I think my mom and, and my wife both called the police. These neighbors called the police. I'm lucky that's all they did. They, right? Like I'm lucky I didn't get a baseball bat upside the head or worst. And so the cops showed up and I maybe remember that I wasn't like hostile and they want to drive me to the hospital. And, and I was in, I was in, I was in the ER in a hallway on cot for like a day and a half because it was, this was, this was January, 2021, 20, big 22, I beg your pardon. It was still 
very much in the in the peak of of the the pandemic and and there just weren't rooms in the ERs for people that they, they were overloaded. So I was I had to sleep in a hallway. It was awful. I had no phone, no no nothing, no shower. And they asked what I remember a social worker talking to me and saying, Would you be willing to check yourself? I mean she found out what happened and so would you be willing to check yourself in to an in, inpatient and, and stay basically in a mental, the mental ward of a, of a hospital and see if you can get some help. And at first I was like, no, but I thought about it after she left. I had to have to think about it in the CR and this cot. And I was like, you know, I need to fucking help. So yes. So I did. And I wound up getting admitted to, it was, I had to go to a different hospital. My insurance wouldn't cover me at the hospital I was taken to for this particular kind of treatment, but whatever. So it took a couple, I mean, that's part of the reason I, my, my stay was prolonged in the, all the kind in the ER, but, but I eventually got admitted and went to this hospital and it was there all told I was in the hospital for nine days and it was a good experience. I'm, I, I met with a psychiatrist every day. We talked about medications. She adjusted my medication. I really liked her. Honestly, I wish I could have kept seeing her. I mean, I know psychiatrists, well, I don't, shouldn't say I know, but I think psychiatrists my impression is it's the psychologist that you talk to, you really have an in-depth conversation with psychiatrists are there to help. They're the medical, the medicine, I should say experts, right? But at any rate, it was a good experience. And when I got discharged, one of the deals was I had to agree to go to what they call IOP, intensive outpatient programs or 90 days. And that is a program that is geared to help. At least I was, we were finding one and we found one that was geared to help both with mental health issues and addictive issues, addiction issues. And so I did that. And that was a good experience too. It was Monday, for me, it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday from six to 9 PM for three months. And it was definitely geared more towards addiction than it was the mental health side. And it wasn't just alcohol. There were people there. Most of us that were there were, were alcoholics or had problems with alcohol, but there were people that were drug users. Didn't matter. They just you know, were there to help us fight our addictions. And it's, it was definitely a situation where you get what you give kind of deal. Like you could go and just, there were some people would go and just not want to, some people had to go. I was there voluntarily. Some people had to be there and they would go and begrudgingly go and not participate. And I'm sure that was, you know, a worthless way to spend their time. But if you went and you, you participate into the exercises and you had the discussions, it was helpful. It was a community. Like, you know, I think. It was very much like the I am sober app and in, in the sense that it was, a, it was, there was a strong sense of community that, that I formed and it was good for me. So that's, that's pretty much my story. I think drifter, I, I mean, I, it, it's not there. I, I wound up having a setback in, in, in May of last year, I was on a work trip. It's actually not my story. In May of last year, I was on a work trip and now I, I was sober from whenever I took my last drink on January 2nd, the suicide attempt night until a time in, I forget the date, I have it written down, but some late, late June of last year, I regrettably decided to break again. But, but anyway, before I get to that in May of last year, I went on a work trip to Northern Virginia and I was in a Harris Teeter grocery store and they had beer and wine in there. And I just was overcome. Think things was still deteriorating with my marriage. The, my, the affair was over, but the marriage by this point was, 
not salvageable. And while we hadn't said that yet, it was, that's just the direction it was trending. And, and I was just still really dealing with the fallout from everything and just under a lot of stress, even though I had gone through this IOP program and it's IOP, IOP and it's redundant. I don't know. I, I was still not in a good headspace. And, and I went into this grocery store in Virginia and I was like, I, I walked in and there's the beer and the wine aisle and I'm like, ah, no, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. And so what I wound up doing was on, on the way out, I passed them like where they had like the, the med, you know, the, the health medicine. And, and I decided I was going to take, I was cold. I'll buy NyQuil. I'll buy a bunch of NyQuil. Well, I didn't buy a bunch. I bought a container of NyQuil. I have antidepressants with me on my trip because I'm taking antidepressants. And I was also taking, and still do take them out, out, something called naltrexone. And I had that with me. And I was like, I'm just going to go back to the hotel room and take a, an abundance of my meds with this, with this night blow and get a buzz that way. Cause I just really want to escape. And that's why I drink. That's why, you know, ultimately I think not to jump ahead to anything, but if I had a pinpoint a reason why I was drinking, one reason it was to escape whatever it was that I was feeling, which I think is pretty common. And I say that based on the interactions I've had with people in my sober community and people on the IM sober app and stuff. But I wanted to escape. I didn't want to drink because I was off alcohol and wasn't going to go back, even though I did. And I, I, it sounds so idiotic. I mean, I was going to say irrational, but it's idiotic. I, I don't, I had no earthly idea what a combination of too much Wellbutrin plus naltrexone plus NyQuil might do for I know it would make my brain explode immediately, you know, or my heart blow up out of my chest. I didn't know, but I wasn't thinking rationally. I was thinking I wanted to escape. And so, so I took this and I started feeling funny and I told my wife and anyway, I don't want it. I want to call 911 and they took me to the hospital and I wound up having to go get, I wound up involuntarily admitted to an inpatient program again for about four or five days until I was able to get out. So you have to go through IOP afterwards, but, but yeah, it might. So I had two stints in a, in a, in a mental ward last, last year for substance abuse. And when I got out shortly after I got out, my wife and I had a conversation. What had was not, this conversation wasn't specific to me going to, to, to the, to those well-butching overdose incident. It was just my wife and I realized look, the marriage isn't salvage, salvageable and we decided to get divorced. And that fucked with me. It still does, but I, so I, I, you know, I wound up drinking again in, in late June and I drank pretty much every day for, for 17 days until July 15th. And that's my sober date. And then when I got sober again, not really sure what happened between July 15th and early September, but it was early September when I got back on I am sober act in earnest and really started re-engaging with the community again. I've been on and off a few times in between, but I've never really engaged with the community. Like I had that first go around with I am sober until last September. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I think that's probably where I'll stop. But that, that is the story. I am, like I said, I'm over nine months now. I feel as strong in my sobriety today as, as I have since the first try. Having said that, I still worry about myself a lot. I just, even just a couple of weeks ago, man, I was having, in fact, you know, cause I, you were one of the people I reached out to, I told you about that workshop was coming up and I, 
I was, I, I still worry about myself. I, I think when I think back to my relapses, so I've had three of my fourth fit in sobriety, all of them have been conscious decisions. None of them have been like, I, in the heat of the moment, I just snapped. Somebody handed me something and I, without thinking, just, all of them have been you know, thought out, premeditated, or at least somewhat conscious decisions to decide drinking again. And, and I get to this state where, and this is what I worry about, where I, where I say, you know, I don't care. I don't, I, I'm not going to reach out. I don't care. I don't want to hear someone talk me out of it. You know, fuck that. Fuck this. I'm going to drink. Fuck everything. It's just what I want to do. And that's, that's, that's what I have to stay really vigilant about is not getting to that. Recognizing when that mindset is creeping up on me and not letting myself get across that line where I, where I hit that fucking state and, and, and I decide I'm not going to reach out. But, but with all that said, I, I do, I do want to end it on a, I, on a more upbeat note. So I, I feel strong, stronger than I felt since that first go around in my sobriety. I don't want to imply that I feel bulletproof because I'm not, and I do still worry. Like that, that was the point of what I just said, but, but I think I'm in a better place, my sobriety today than I've been in a long, long time. And that's a good feeling. And so I think that's my story, man. Boom. So man, what an amazing journey that you've had so far, Brian, you know, you had that four four and a half years sober, you went to a couple AA meetings and back then, did you really give yourself any sober tools? No, I didn't even know, like the concept was foreign to me. I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me that, that I needed it or there were such tools. So no. This last time, well, you got into IAS. Did you start building any sober tools then the first time? No, I don't think I did, you know, other than the, other than making connections, which I guess you can consider that a tool, but I did connect with a few people off of the app and that was helpful. In fact, when I got off, when I got away from the community, the first time I, I stayed in touch with some of those, those friends, in fact, one, some of them I'm still in touch with today, but, but beyond that, still, no, it was still somewhat of a foreign concept to me, I guess. So now. You just went on this work trip, right? Did you have sober tools when you went on a work trip? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think one of the one of the big ones is, and this is something that you talked to me about, is is visualization, is being able to, you know, I, I know it's cliche, but to to play it forward and and see what might happen. If you don't catch things early enough and, and where that could lead. And then conversely to visualize what it might look like to catch things early enough. Uh, and to just stay on top of um, your own, you know, your own thoughts. One thing that works well for me and whether I'm posting on, I am sober or I'm journaling for myself, or I'm talking to, to a sober friend on telegram or on the phone or on, on a zoom is I don't know, like the rah-rah mentality to go all in on the idea that I'm sober and I'm going to stay sober and it feels better to be sober and just that positive self-talk, but actually to do it. I don't know. For me, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I, I need to know a little more than just think about it. I need, I need that additional part, whether I'm 
writing it down for myself or posting it or talking to somebody, doing positive self-talk and saying, I, I'm not going to drink and I know I'm not going to drink. I'm better off not drinking. And, and just really going all, all, all in on that mentality and saying it out loud or writing it down. There's something to that. So, but I think, I think that, I think visualization have, have been big, big tools for me. And, and they definitely helped me on this. Yeah. This last workshop, I was worried going into it. I, I really think there's a lot for me though, to being able to get out in front of it. And I guess that goes back to the, the positive self-talk and the reaching out and the being rah, rah, woo, woo. You planned this work trip this time, right? You planned to be sober. It was something that you looked ahead of. You just didn't go into it knowing that you were sober. You planned and did you have like escape? If you get in a bad situation, ways to get out of that situation? I did. In fact, I used one of those escape plans. I didn't even tell you, but I mean, so this was, was this just last week? I guess it was just last week. Yeah. We went out in, in Washington, D.C. to uh, Hamilton, which is, anyway, we went out to this restaurant in Washington, D.C. and people were drinking and I knew it. I mean, I was actually at a conference and uh, they had a, a fucking keynote speaker at the end, the guy who's the closing remarks, his first comments were, I realize I'm the only thing standing between you guys and the bar. I'm like, are you kidding me? And, but they had a bar there in the, you know, in the, in the hotel or we were, or the, it was the Reagan building, it wasn't a hotel, but anyway, they had a bar, an open bar. And so went from that to, and then a group of us went out to the Hamilton and people were drinking. And I, I was, I knew that was going to be the case and I was okay. I actually wasn't the only one who didn't drink at the restaurant, which I wouldn't have drank anyway, but that, that was nice. In fact, one of the, one of the guys I was with, a few of the ladies that were there were like, he ordered a Diet Coke and they're like, you know, giving him brief in a, in a good nature way. And he's like, ah, just, I'm not a big drinker. And I was like, oh, you know, I just felt good. But, but anyway, I made it through that night and I knew I would, but I got home and I was like, home, I got to the hotel and I was like, that was a lot. Well, we had plans to go out the following night in Northern Virginia. And I just, I was like, I, you know what? I just, I don't, it's not worth it to me. I don't think I would drink. I think I'd be fine. But after the night before being around the drinking in the Reagan building and then at the restaurant afterwards, I think it's just better off just to not go. So, so I completely escaped from the obligation the, the following night and just stayed in the hotel, just, you know, played it safe. That is huge, man. Congratulations. That is huge. How do you think this nine months right now that you've got is different from the other sober journeys you've been on? Well, I'm a big, I'm a big, big believer in learning from past experiences and, and taking those experiences and making yourself it's self-improvement, making yourself better. I think, I think I've learned something from each of my prior sober stints and my relapses. Now, well, first of all, I'll, I'll never be out of the woods. That, that I learned after the first relapse where I thought, oh, I've got a control, but like, well, yeah, no. And like you said, you know, in my arrogance, I thought I had it. I, maybe I had to make that mistake to learn that lesson, but I won't make that mistake again. Even the times that I relapsed since then, it's not like I thought, oh, now I have it under control. No, I just thought I don't give a fuck. And it's that I don't give a fuck mentality that I really have to be on guard for. I, I do think there's a point where I can get past, I, I think that I can get past the point of no return where I won't reach out, where I refuse the help and where I will not journal, where I will not use the tools that I have my disposal because I don't give a fuck. I have to know that that part of me exists and I have to do whatever it takes to not let myself get there. Even if I, 
there's like a danger zone where you feel like you're, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, until you're not. And then once you're not, it's too late. So I have to be careful when I'm in that danger zone. Even if it doesn't feel like I'm in it, I need to, to use the tools avidly, actively, proactively when I might be coming up on a point where I'm near that line. I can't let myself come across that line. So I've stepped across it, you know, three times now. And I think that's the lesson that I've learned is that that line exists. It's always going to exist. And you need to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to not step across it. Because you'll drink again if you do. Yeah, that, that bucket button is right there in front of all of us. And I'm really bad with it too. It's just saying, fuck it, fuck everything. I'm going to do it. And I think it's a huge tool just to be aware that that button exists. You know, when you were talking about your, the suicide attempt, you know, something that somebody said a long time ago, I was thinking, man, addiction is a death sentence. That's where it took you out there with the razor blade and in, into that scenario where you wanted to die. And now you're sober and you have a life sentence. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just night and day difference. And I just couldn't help thinking that rags, she used to say, you know, addiction is a death sentence and sobriety is a life sentence. And I used to love that. And it just fits you so well, man, because, you know, that's where it took you on both sides of it. So, man, I've really appreciated this time with you. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's an honor, really. I, this is a, this podcast is just incredible. It's, it's, it's pretty wild to think that I'll be added to the list. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, you're, you're awesome. And that's why you're be awesome, <laughs> you know, and I can't say enough for the, I am sober app that has brought us all together and where we can go to learn tools uh, to help us get sober. And then all the other sober communities, because I mean, it, that's where it started with your brother telling you about the app and then you know, slowly you've dug your way out of the trenches. And I just pray, Brian, that you just, you are always in front of that fuck it button and you use the tools that, that you're learning, you know? So thank you very much for coming. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you everybody for joining us here on Sobertown Podcast. Boom.